Have you ever been disappointed by Jesus? Has God ever disappointed you? Okay, if you've been honest, though, did you have an expectation that wasn't met by Jesus? Let me phrase it that way. Did you have an expectation from Jesus, a promise or a thought that Jesus would do something, God would do something that didn't happen and it upset you? I think we can all relate. But what happens from the moment that we get disappointed with an expectation and the moment that we become okay with a disappointment? There's something that takes place in the in-between, and today we're going to talk about that. We're going to look at Peter's life. By the way, this is Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday. Some of you had a little palm branches out there. Palm Sunday is this. We celebrate it because Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and all of his disciples had an expectation of Jesus. And the expectation was Jesus is going to set up a new kingdom. He's going to overthrow the oppression of the Roman Empire. And his disciples are going to be the ones getting to rule and reign with Jesus. That was the expectation. Palm Sunday. Jesus coming into Jerusalem. So they, they waved the palm branches. They were excited, right? Anything they could wave, they were waving it. Hosanna in the highest. Here comes the King of Kings. And they're laying down their cloaks. They're acknowledging he's, he's royal. He's, he's a king. And then there's something that happens a few days later that changes the whole mood. It goes from exuberation. That's not a word. <laughs> being exuberant. And um, a celebration. That's where I was going with those two words to a a very somber time. And if you take uh, your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 22, we're going to pass by, we're in the book of Luke on this series, but we're going to pass by a, a few chapters to get to Luke's account of what takes place. So before this section I read, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 31. Before I start reading verse 31, there's a dispute that goes on amongst Jesus and his disciples. Well, it's really amongst his disciples that are saying, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? And they're like, pick me, pick me. I'm going to sit in the right hand of the Father. I'm going to be like this whole idea of, now remember, they're thinking that Jesus is going to establish his kingdom here on earth, and they're going to rule with him. And so they're kind of thinking like, Okay, who gets what position, right? It's almost like pick me on the playground, who gets put on the team first? And, and they were like, who's going to get picked first? And I'm sure Jesus is shaking his head in this and is like, guys, are you really, you're still not getting it. You've been with me for three years and you're still not getting what this is all about. But here Jesus foretells about Peter's denial. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, remember Simon's name is Simon Peter, Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned strength, uh, when you have turned again, strength to your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Don't you love the boldness of, of 
Peter right there, right? He's like, I'm willing to die with you. I'm willing to let go to prison with you. Something changes real quick for Peter, though. It says this. This is what Jesus says to him. I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not, will not crow that day until you deny three times that you know me. Now, if any of you denied Jesus before, See, so here's Peter. Peter knows Jesus really well, right? He's a follower. He's a disciple. And so in our minds, we're followers like Peter, right? And the idea of denying Jesus can maybe seem far from, Like, I'll never deny you, Jesus. But are we denying Jesus? Have we denied Jesus? So then in verse 54, it says, then. Then they seized him and led him away. So now Jesus goes off in to pray. By the way, let me just keep the, the track of the story here. Jesus goes off to pray, Garden of Gethsemane, and, and he's praying. And Jesus is like, guys, can you stay awake with me for a little bit? And the disciples fall asleep. And, right, we've done that before, too. We're like, Jesus is like asking something of us, and we just fall asleep at the wheel. Not at the wheel. No, <laughs> we fall asleep. Judas goes on and, and betrays Jesus. And then here's what it says. Oh, before I get to this part, I want to read one section of Scripture. That I think it's really powerful what Jesus says. Because he's talking about how uh, the Scripture has to be fulfilled. Let me just jump back to verse 35. Chapter 22, and he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bags or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? Remember when Jesus sent out the 72? They said nothing, he said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it. And likewise, a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for what was written about me has to be fulfilled. And they said, look, Lord, there are two swords. And he said to them, it's enough. It's enough. Why this scripture is so important? Not only because Jesus needed to foretell. He needed to be basically saying what was foretold. He needs to fulfill the scripture of how he was going to die. He was going to die like a transgressor, right? He was put on a cross like somebody who's done something really wrong. But this interesting thing about a money bag, and we know that Judas sold um, Jesus out for some silver, a money bag. But he's talking about a sword, and, and he's saying, sell your cloak so you can buy a sword. We have to understand that we do this all the time. We take something that Jesus says, and we try to make it very um, carnal or earthly. When Jesus was really talking about a very spiritual principle here. He was saying the money bag and the sword, and this is why I, I would say when somebody says, oh, you want us to sell our cloaks and get us swords, like we're going to go into a fight, the big revolution against the Roman Empire, right, Jesus? And when he says, it's enough, when they point at the two swords, it's enough, I think Jesus was probably saying, okay, I've had enough. <laughs> you guys still aren't getting it. This is not about a fight we're going to fight right here uh, with flesh and blood. This is going to be a spiritual battle that's going to be won on a cross, 
And he goes, it's, it's enough. So, but the money bags and the swords are an important principle for us. Because remember, last week he was talking about uh, if we want treasures in heaven, that we need to sell our, our possessions here on earth and invest in the things that God cares about and we'll have treasures in heaven. And here he's saying that, that our money bags can be a, a, real, a real trap for us to really seeing the purposes of God. And then the other thing is a sword. We feel like our fight is, is with flesh and blood, but remember... Our warfare is in with principalities, prince and principalities of the air. The other thing about the sword is the sword of the spirit. It is meant in Ephesians 6, a sword of the spirit is some of our offensive weapon. And it's the word of God that we need to use. And here he's saying, you guys are trying to tackle this on, on, the, on a fleshly side. But he goes, you, you, you got to realize the spiritual principle of this is that this war is going to be won by the word of God and, and the fulfillment of the word of God. And we need to also understand that with the way we live today can't always be fulfilled by just natural things in life. We have to look at the spiritual things that are going on around us to understand what God is really doing. So I just want to give you a little side note on that. So here he is. He's in the garden. He's praying. Uh, Judas comes in and um, betrays Jesus. Peter comes in like hot-headed Peter, you know, lops off the ear of a soldier. Jesus puts it back on, heals it. And then Jesus is taken off and being arrested. Now, Peter, verse 54. Then they seized him and led him away, meaning of Jesus, bringing him uh, into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. Can you just imagine what Peter was thinking at that moment? He's now just kind of staying his distance, been watching what's going on, following uh, the crowd, following the soldiers. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, probably dusk or near night, and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a ser servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, this man was with, this man was with him. But Peter said, I, but he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. Then a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are the one who was with them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And his heart must have sunk when the Lord, it says, Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Oh, my word. How did it go from Peter saying just days before, I, I will go to prison uh, with you, Jesus. I, I will go to death with you, Jesus. And then he goes to the place of betraying Jesus three times. What was taking place in Peter's life that he went to that place, sorry, denied, where he denied Jesus three times? What took place? I believe there was an expectation that wasn't met. I believe Peter thought that he was going to 
overthrow the Roman Empire, and he was going to uh, be the conqueror, and like the big fight, I'm in, I'm in for the big fight. And then he realized Jesus is arrested, it's not going the way he anticipated it going, expectation, and he got to the place where it's like, maybe Jesus isn't really who I thought he was. And we do that in life when we think that we want God to do something in our life, that we have an expectation of Jesus, and he doesn't come through, we start to question how good God is. And we start to question, is he really who he says he is? And it moves us into a place of when we start to doubt and question who he is, we're actually denying Jesus. We're actually saying, I don't know him when he hasn't met an expectation Some of you have really prayed for healing, for God to work a miracle, and God did not work a miracle for you. Does that mean that God's not a healer? No, it means that God chose not to heal in that moment, in that circumstance, for whatever reason, because God's God. But he's still a healer. And so the next time you see somebody who needs prayer for healing, and you say, well, he didn't heal that last time, and you're kind of like, well, it didn't work for me last time, and you choose not to pray for somebody for healing, you're actually denying Jesus. Some of you have been very disappointed that a relationship didn't work out. And, and you're saying, you know what? That's it. I can't trust that he's a good God. And the next time God wants to move in a relationship and you're like, I'm going to keep a distance of a relationship because I don't know about these relationships. And the last one didn't work out. And therefore, I'm not going to trust that God knows how to bring somebody into my life. And, and so you, you reject that person and you're actually denying the work of Jesus in your life. See, sometimes when God doesn't meet an expectation, we then create a narrative in our mind that somehow God is not who he says he is, or Jesus is not who he says he is, and we begin to deny him. I don't know him, is what we're really saying. When we've forgotten that he still loves us, and he cares for us, and he has good gifts for us, and we don't need to deny him. You do know him. You just got disappointed. You just got let down. Your expectations were just not met, and that's okay. Well, the good news is this is not the end of the story for Peter, and it's not the end of the story for you and I. Yes, we can be disappointed. Yes, we can have our expectations met, but God is so good. He will show up again in Peter's life. He'll show up again in Peter's life, and he will remind Peter of how good and faithful he is. Some of you need to be reminded today how good and faithful Jesus is. So Luke doesn't tell about the restoration of Peter, but John does. So after this whole um, denial of Peter, um, we know the story. We'll celebrate Good Friday. We won't have a service, by the way, but I would encourage you to spend some time reflecting on what Jesus has done for us. Good Friday is good, by the way. Horrible, horrible um, event. Jesus crucified on the cross, but why it is good is because it is in that moment that our sin was nailed to the cross with Jesus, and it was our ability. Thank you so much. It's our ability uh, I put my hand out think, hoping it was for me. Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> uh, did I just take your water? I am sorry, George. <laughs> oh. 
expectation. I was expecting it was for me. I would have been really disappointed, and I would have thought, George is not a good guy if he walked right by me. But then we would have an opportunity to restore a relationship later. <laughs> good Friday, because Jesus went on the cross for us. Our, we can have a relationship with our Father because of the work of Jesus on the cross. That was the only way that we could have a relationship with our Father, because our Father's holy, the creator of the universe, God, Almighty, He is pure. He's holy. He cannot be in the presence of sin. And we're all sinful creatures. But by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we now can approach the throne boldly, the scripture says. Yes, because of what Jesus has done in our lives. The work of Christ in and through us. So so when we accept Jesus into our life, he now represents us that we can come before the Father. And who does he see? He sees us, but he sees Jesus first, then us. He sees the righteousness of Christ. All right, let's turn over to um, John because we would kind of be sad if that was the end of the story where Peter went away and wept bitterly. But I think it was the very posture of going away and weeping bitterly that is a posture that many of us need to come to place with or come to terms with when, when we've been disappointed. There's something about a a bitter weeping that just kind of like, it breaks us. That in that moment of brokenness, that Jesus then comes and finds us. So after Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples, again, still kind of unsure of what just took place because their expectation was that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. The expectation that he was going to be the king of kings on earth, not realizing that he was going to be the king of kings over all the universe, over the world, and his rule and reign would be for generations to come, that he now still sits on the throne, and he is our Lord and King. But in John chapter 22, the restoration Sorry, John chapter 20. John chapter 21, yes. John chapter 21. You know, there's an old saying that it takes... It's an African saying, actually. It takes a village to raise a child. And there's another great saying that it takes a congregation to get through a sermon. (laughs) So where is that found in the scripture? Thank you, great congregation. So Peter, being broken, only goes back to knowing what he knows how to do is fishing. So he's out fishing. I'm sure just kind of still reeling from the days of unbelievable things that took place questioning his three years walking with Jesus, questioning all the things that he saw Jesus do and all the things that he participated with. And was he a fraud? Was he a lie when he went out and started talking about Jesus? Was he really working with the power and authority of God? Or what, what just took place, right? I could just imagine all those questions that he has. They've been out fishing all night and, and they see somebody on the seashore shore. 
And he tells them to cast their net on the other side of the boat. And they finally catch some fish. Not just some fish, a large amount of fish. They haul it in and there's Jesus on the shoreline in his resurrected body. So there's a moment where they're not really sure who this man is because he's in his new form. He's in his resurrected body. And there's, there's probably something about the glory of his presence at that moment. And Jesus starts a fire. And he says, come, let's have some breakfast together. Let's read this in verse 15 in chapter 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these, more than his friends? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieving because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show what kind of death he was about to, uh, he's about to have and to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The most powerful thing that Jesus said right there is, is he starts with love, and then he ends with follow me. Well, he doesn't start with love. He starts with a meal. <laughs> Isn't that so amazing he started with a meal? He wanted to be actually in relationship. A meal has everything to do with relationship. When you sit down and you get face-to-face -face with somebody around a meal, it's about a relationship. And here he was saying, you know what? I know, Peter, that you expected me to do, be somebody different. You expected this of me, and it didn't happen. But do you want to know what? I still love you. I still see you. And yes, Peter, I saw you. I looked at you when you denied me three times. I looked at you, and you saw me looking at you. But, but you don't have to be defined by that, Peter. You, you don't have to say that's the end of your story, Peter. You, Peter, I... I I want to be with you. I want to be in a relationship with you. And then he restores him. The very amount of times that Peter denied him, Jesus restored him in that same amount of time. It's like that first mistake. It's okay. I love you. The second denial. Hey, 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 Peter. Whoa, I love you. Peter's not quite getting the point still. <laughs> Third time. I love you, Peter. The most important part of, of this is not, not only the following part, but it, what took place from the Peter before, 
to the Peter after is all a part of our story. When we first come to Jesus, it's like, Jesus, I'm on fire for you. I'm going to do all these things for you. And we're going to do, we're going to rock the world together. And we're going to like bring fire to earth. And we're going to see revival. And we'll, why did I go with a Southern twang on revival? (laughs) Revival. Bring the fire. Fire. Woo. Oh. I see why they do it now. It's pretty energizing, actually, when you say it that way. (laughs) Woo! But you're zealous for God, right? I'll go to prison for you. We'll do all these things. It's hard things. And then then something happens in life, and then we kind of get disappointed. We kind of get jaded. And then we realize, well, wait a second. Maybe my first action wasn't really the the maturing action. The, The maturing action is when you realize that, wait a second, this is really just about a relationship. And it's about learning how to follow. And it's about service, serving others. Because Jesus three times, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, care for my sheep. This heart of saying, wait a second, this following Jesus is not about bringing heaven's fire. It's not about all this big, these revivals. It's not about all this stuff. All these great things we're going to do for you, God. It's really about saying, Jesus, how do I have a relationship with you that we know each other really well? I give you permission to work deep in my life with humility. And I submit my life to you, Lord Jesus, that I begin to start seeing the needs of people around me, that I can start serving them really well as your spirit leads me, because that's followership, right? As your spirit leads me, I will follow. Each one of us can take those profound moments of disappointment feeling like we're being let down by God because something didn't happen and we move from a place of maybe even denying Jesus because we get jaded and we don't think that he's good and we don't think he's faithful and we don't think he can do those things that we thought his promises were there and and we move to this place from being jaded to a place of great humility and just start saying well maybe it really is just about me learning how to be in relationship with you, Jesus, through a meal with you, Jesus, that I spend time in devotion with you, Jesus, that we just fall in love, Jesus. And that when we fall in love, Jesus, then you begin to start showing me the needs of those people around me that I begin to serve so faithfully, Jesus. It's so interesting, though, that that he takes that heart posture And Peter's the very one that that Jesus chooses to start the the very first church, to start the church movement, was through Peter. But I believe that Peter had to come to a level of brokenness. And if you're feeling broken right now, I know it doesn't feel great. But if you allow Jesus to come in the middle of that, it is the perfect place to be. It's a perfect place to be. But you've got to move closer to Jesus because Jesus is on the shore of your life right now and he's saying come have some breakfast with me he's saying come I want to be with you I also love that he actually provided a miracle before he said come have breakfast some of you need a miracle in your life and Jesus wants to provide a miracle in your life because he sees you now don't start claiming that I need a miracle and then get disappointed again because you don't see a miracle right Let God be God. But for some of you, he will provide that miracle for you to show you who he is.
But he's inviting you out of the boat, onto the shore. And he's got a beautiful campfire set up ready for you to have breakfast. And then he's telling you, that's okay that you denied me. That's, that's okay. I, I understand. I understand you, you had wrong expectation. You, you, you had a picture in your mind that wasn't correct. But, but let me just reorient that for you. It's, it's about my relationship with you first and foremost. And then it's about a heart of service. To take your eyes off yourself and put it on Jesus and others around you. And then just be faithful followers of me. Just be faithful followers. And that's it. And that moment that, that Peter did that, I believe that there was something so settling in him. He went from being a zealot to probably a much softer man. Probably tender. Wasn't so quick to grab a sword, quick for a fight. He was probably more concerned about, you know, what Jesus was saying in the moment. And how to meet somebody in their places of need. But I love that Jesus didn't look at Peter with condemning eyes. He looked at him with love and compassion. Some of you right now are feeling like, you know what? I've denied Jesus so many times in your actions. You knew what was right and you still chose to do the other way and deny Jesus, deny Jesus. And Jesus today, though, is drawing you back to say, I love you. I love you. I love you. I forgive you. I love you. Allow that place of humility to rise up and I'll just allow him to minister to you and then just determine to be a faithful follower, faithful follower of Jesus. Welcome to Church Online. My name is Pastor Mark, and I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us in watching our services online. Maybe you can't be at our location today and you're watching this from home or on the road. We just want to say thank you for tuning in. And maybe you can't get to a physical location at Grace Capital Church, and this becomes part of your regular routine to do church live on your computer or on your device. We want to say Invite some friends with you. Do church together. Life is so much better together and discovering what God has for us is meant to be done in community. Gather people together and enjoy these services for weeks to come. Thank you for watching.